Lord, praise the Lord. Welcome back to our Bible class. We're talking about preaching on the subject, the gospel of self. Now, I realize there's, we could probably really delve into this. Uh, I had a little trouble during our first hour in uh, the fact that it's very dry. The air is very dry. It's hard to breathe. And so I ask you to bear with me uh, in the second hour here as well. But we want to try to deliver what the Lord has placed uh, within our hearts to give to you. And uh, let's pray. Father, so oftentimes I get concerned that I will be misunderstood, that I will be, people will think I'm saying things that I'm not really saying Lord, I just pray that you will give me boldness, but that you would also give me accuracy and clarity as I present your word today. I don't want to be misunderstood, and I don't want to be disliked, but yet I know that I must be true to what the Spirit of God is saying. And I ask that you give me grace, God. I know that these type of messages don't win friends and influence people. I know they are challenging, as you, Lord, have challenged me with these very same words. I ask for your anointing, and I ask that you anoint the people under the sound of my voice that are hearing this discussion, this teaching, this preaching, that you would anoint these words and drive them straight to their hearts, Lord, and convict us and then cleanse us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I read to you yesterday from Luke chapter 6. I want to read that again, verse 46. Jesus standing and looking into the eyes of the people said this, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? I have been concerned. My heart has literally broken within me as the Spirit of the Lord began to unfold to me motives, ideas, opinions, things that are taking place today in His body. And none of us are perfect. But things that are taking place in his body today that have been injected like leaven into the dough. They have been purposely planted there by Satan. To take the focus of the church off of Jesus Christ. And on to ourselves. That has happened. Satan's insidious, pernicious efforts have been, by and large, successful. I don't say that with any joy or gladness or rancor, but I say it. And at the same time, I am keenly aware, as this year 2000 has dawned, and the church has entered, and the world too, for that matter, 
entered into a new millennium, I am so keenly aware as the words of that song that Crystal Lewis has out, people get ready because Jesus is coming soon. Uh, it's, a, it's a keen awareness. And as I briefly said in our last hour, I personally feel that the church has entered a 12-month period of transition. It's known as the zero year with technically the new millennium beginning January 1, 2001. And this zero year, and I don't want to go into a teaching on that. We, we could do that sometime, but for right now I don't want to do that. I believe it's the transition year, 12 months of taking the church from where she has been to where the Spirit of God wants her to go. And the call is clarion and unmistakable. As God the Holy Ghost is calling the church back to the heart of God, back to our first love, back to the cross, back to the mighty power of the Holy Ghost, back to purity of motive and purity of lifestyle and purity of heart. And what the church has by and large presented to a hell-bound world over the past at least 20 years has been a gospel of self. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to root it out, tear it down, build it up, and plant seeds of the true harvest into the earth today. I know this isn't a popular message. Countless times I've said, Lord, no, I don't want to preach it. I would much rather talk about other things. And he said, you can talk about other things if you want to, but if you want to be right in the center of my will, and if you want to be pleasing to me, and if you truly wish to be my disciple, you will preach what I give you to preach. And a great deal of the notes that we have taken for this particular series of messages on the gospel of self and the previous series that we just got through with on repentance, much of those notes have come from a dear brother who ministers to my heart greatly, John Bevere. And his, his books is where we're getting a lot of these notes. I would encourage you. I would, I would do everything to persuade you to read his material. Because the one thing that we have lacked in the church in America is a true prophetic voice. Now we've got a lot of what I call pillow prophets. We've got a lot of what I call bubblegum prophets. Whitewashers and soft soapers and ear ticklers. We've got a lot of those. But true prophets of God that will lay bare and lay open the heart of God to the church we're desperately in need of. And, and, and I've got to try my best to clarify myself. Please don't think 
that Brother Paxton is against your pet little doctrines. I, I, I'm only against anything that's not sound doctrine. And I'm, I'm not against the faith message. I'm not against the prosperity message. I'm part of that. I'm, I'm not against going out and going after the miracles and the blessing and the provision of God. I seek Him for them every day. I've got to have miracle blessing in order to feed my family, in order to run this ministry, in order to win souls. I've got to have hundredfold blessing. I've got to have miracle power. And I fully and totally believe in it. But at the same time, hear me please, at the same time, God is exposing our hearts as he even instructed us to examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith. It's God that's exposing us. It's God that's pointing his finger at us and saying, you are just as greedy as the rest of the culture of America is. Do you feed your neighbors? Do you have compassion for the poor? And the list of questions could go on and on and on and on and on and on. So we're not against the blessings. We're not against prosperity. But God is wanting us to examine in this hour our hearts. And if there be any idols that we're serving more than we're serving Jesus Christ, God wants He wants them plucked out of us so that He can purify and sanctify and ready a people unto Himself. That is the message of this hour. I firmly believe it with all of my heart. I've had people, and you can write to me and tell me that it's wrong and, and tell me this and tell me, put away your crayons. I'm, I'm trying to say that nicely, but I am just so firmly convinced this is what I am hearing the Spirit of God say in this hour. Return to your first love. Be not deceived into thinking that you are right with God, into thinking that you are serving God, but it's not God. So many today are serving themselves. They're serving their own agenda. And they're not serving the real Jesus. They're serving a Jesus that they have created in their mind, an idol that they have fashioned in their heart, but it's not the real thing. It's not the real Jesus. And God is going to judge us of this. And if we will be quick to repent, God will restore and God will manifest His glory in His church as we've never seen it manifested before. God will bring forth such splendor and such glory and such miracle-working, awesome, mighty power, but only upon the church's repentance. We will only have true and lasting revival when the church gets right now today I want to continue for a few moments 
I want you to turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts, the third chapter. The book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 19, the Bible says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Peter here boldly proclaimed this to the multitude who was gathering, wanting to know what they should do to be saved. They had just witnessed the healing of a crippled man at the temple. Repentance was the prerequisite to salvation. The first words ever preached out of the mouth of John the Baptist, who was, by the way, the beginning of the gospel of the kingdom. He, the Bible says he preached the beginning of the gospel of the kingdom. And those words were, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The very first words out of Jesus' mouth in his earthly ministry was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first words out of Peter's mouth when the men and the women wanted to know what they had to do in order to be saved and born again, the first words on the day of Pentecost out of the mouth of the Apostle Peter were, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Paul, when he was describing his ministry to King Agrippa in the latter days of his life, said, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the, re the region of Judah and to them who were Gentiles that they should repent. Notice his word, Acts 26, 19. They should repent. They should turn to God and do works befitting repentance. Now, I think... It's clear, I believe it's obvious that we are seeing a pattern for ministry developing here. Some of what I'm about to say, I, I just pray that you will understand it as the Spirit of God intends it. The first message of John the Baptist, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first message of Jesus, repent. The first message of Peter on the day of Pentecost, repent. The message of Paul, repent, repent, repent. What else did he say? Turn to God. What else did he say? Do works befitting repentance. What's the Bible trying to tell us? Four of the major phases of the ministry of the early church all of them echoing the same sentiment from the throne of God. Repent, turn to God, do works befitting repentance. Bring forth fruit, meat for repentance, the Bible says. I mean, you've got John the Baptist, you've got Jesus, you've got Peter, you've got Paul. Their first message was not Cadillac faith. Their first message was not diamond rings and furs and minks and mansions on top of Knob Hill, wherever in the world that is. Are those things wrong, Brother Lynn? No, not if you get them right. But 
their first message and the message, the first message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is repent and turn to God and do works befitting repentance. Get your heart right with God. Go to the cross. Come to Jesus. Love Jesus. Follow Jesus. But all too often, <clears throat> that is not the message we're hearing in the church today. Over 78% of the messages that we're hearing from behind pulpits on Christian television networks in America today is about money and finances or self-improvement how you can improve what God told you to crucify. I know some of you aren't going to like what I've said, but think of it. What a stark contrast to the sound doctrine of the Word of God. Notice this ministry progression. First repentance, then conversion for sins to be blotted out. Listen to this. A conversion is not genuine without repentance. Conversion without repentance is counterfeit conversion, which will produce counterfeit Christianity, which is what we're seeing being lived out in the lives of many who attend our churches today. They had no repentance because repentance wasn't preached. Come to Jesus and get was preached. Repentance wasn't preached that nobody ever with the Word of God confronted their idols. But they were converted, but it's a counterfeit conversion which produces a counterfeit Christianity. You could say it this way, if you have a faulty worship, you'll have a faulty warfare, and you'll have a faulty walk. The foundations must be proper and correct. And that foundation is the cross of Christ. And the cross demands repentance. A conversion without repentance is not genuine. It's counterfeit. In the, in the last part of this 20th century, we've preached a message that appeals to the desires of humanity rather than proclaiming the truth in love, which brings about repentance. See, your Bible says in the book of Romans that it's the goodness of God that leadeth you to repentance. When you preach the truth of the Word of God in love, you preach it straight, you preach it uncompromisingly, but you preach it in love, it will bring people to repentance. It will bring people to genuine repentance and genuine Christianity. We have turned the true gospel into an invitation to a better life. And, and it's true. You will live a better life. The Lord said in John 10 and 10, The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That's right. The desire of Christ 
is to give you a better life. That's true. But God's designed order, His first demands your repentance and then your entrance into the abundant life. It is not the other way around. You cannot enter into the kingdom. You cannot enter into the better and abundant life with idols in your heart. You cannot enter in serving your own agenda, serving your own self. The very call of the gospel demands that you lay down your life you lay down your rights, you lay down your privileges, and you take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. That's the very tenor of the call of the gospel. People who, who come to Christ only having heard the benefits and not the cost, having heard a manipulated gospel, those people will come and join themselves to us, but the focus of their life will still remain on their own selfish desires and their own selfish agendas, and the fruit that will be produced out of their lives will not be godly. Will not be godly. It'll be self self-seeking, self-serving, self-promoting, self-exalting. I want to tell you something, folks. Repentance is not an option. In Acts 17.30, it's a command. Truly, these times of ignorance got overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Commands all men everywhere to repent. The rich young ruler was honest. I, I, we talked about him in our first hour. He counted the cost of denying himself, taking up the cross and following Jesus. He walked away, but he knew the way of salvation. The day could have come later after Jesus was raised from the dead that this man repented. Especially seeing as how Jesus confronted him with the truth in love. There was an incident in the book of Acts, the fifth chapter where a man and his wife lied about an offering that they had given. You know the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They sold a piece of land, kept back part of the price. Most likely it was a, a piece of land that was worth a great deal of money. And they didn't want to give it all up. But yet, they wanted to look good in front of the church. They wanted to be recognized. They wanted to be lauded and applauded. They wanted to be patted on the back. So they told Peter, in the presence of the entire congregation, this is all of the price. What did Peter do? Peter confronted them. And as a result of their lying to the Spirit of God, they fell over in the church service dead. You remember that now? The Bible said that great fear came over all the church 
and upon all those who saw and observed and heard these things. But look at this. It goes on to say, they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, yet none of the rest dared join them. But the people esteemed them highly. We ain't going to go over there and join that Christian bunch, but we sure do think a lot of them. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. What has happened here? <clears throat> you see, when the manifested glory of God came, it separated. There are people in the world today that respect the church, that respect Jesus Christ, that respect the Bible, that respect the gospel, but they're not willing to come and join themselves to us because they don't want to pay the price, they don't want to count the cost, they don't want to take up a cross. And it scares them. Man. But true believers are being added daily. Glory be to God. True believers are being added to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in greatness of power daily. Are you getting what the Spirit of God is saying? Sounds like, as you first read this, you know, none of the rest dare join them. Uh, believers are increasingly added to the Lord. It sounds almost like a contradiction. How could no one be joining them, yet believers being added to the Lord? Here's what's being said. No one dared. I want you to hear me. No one dared to try to join themselves to Jesus without first repenting. The presence was just too overwhelming. The fear hung thick in the air. Multitudes were repenting and being converted and added to the Lord. I've asked myself this question before. Maybe you have too. Why did this particular man and his wife, why did they fall over dead? I've known a lot of people that have lied to ministers before. <coughs> why did God use this particular man and his wife for an example? Let's read the 15th verse, and it'll sh shed some light on that. They brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Brothers and sisters, today the glory of the Lord was manifesting so strong on Peter that just getting near Peter would drive out any manner of sickness or disease, drive out any demon, drive out any evil presence, any evil lurking obstacle to progress in the kingdom that's part of an apostle's calling you know is to you, you just get around them and the evil that would try to oppress the advancement of the kingdom is scattered likened unto the wind driven far from the genuine people of God see God's a protector he wants to protect the anointing he wants to protect us this complete side one, turn the tape over for the continuation of this message. Take notice of this. 
Understand this. When you bring sin in contact with God's glory, when you do it, there's going to be some type of reaction. Sin and anything that is willfully bearing sin will be destroyed. When the ark of God's presence was being brought back to Jerusalem by King David and his men, Uzzah put forth his hand and reached out and touched the ark which was representative of the presence of God. They were trying to bring the presence in on a strange cart. They were trying to handle the presence of God in a way that God had never prescribed that it should be handled. Nadab and Abihu did the same thing. When they, as priests, they were to offer the fire before the Lord and they went and instead of taking their fire off the holy brazen altar, the Bible said they offered strange fire. They offered fire of their own making. It didn't come from the brazen altar of God. How many times have you and I, how many times do countless multitudes of Christians today Offer unto God works of our own making. How many times have we endeavored to serve a God of our own making and called it Jesus Christ? When really, it was our own self-effort, our own selfish agenda, if you please. And beloved, when you try to build a fire outside of the per prescribed, ordered arrangement of God, it will bring death to the camp. And I shudder and I tremble inside because this is what's happening in our churches. We've got a lot of excitement. We've got a lot of zeal. We've got a lot of knowledge, but we have so very little, little actual worship. We've got so little today of the actual ordered arrangement of God. And we have tried, as Nadab and Abihu, as Uzzah, we have tried to bring the presence in on a new cart. We have even in the church tried to borrow from the methods of the world, borrow from the methods of the flesh, and call it the Holy Spirit. My heart breaks as I tell you these things. But i got to say it. i got to say it. The Holy Spirit will not borrow from the world. He will not borrow of the world's accoutrements. He will not borrow of the world's spirit. He will not borrow from the flesh. 
he will not accept that which is self-effort. That was the very problem from the very beginning. It was the lie that Satan told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Notice the title of that tree. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of it, Satan told them, you shall be as gods. And that is what the Bible refers to in 2 Thessalonians as the lie. Because ever since that day, man has been thinking that we can go to the good side of the tree and we can produce something and offer it unto God and be accepted to God. But that's the lie. That's the lie. Only those things that the Spirit of God produces in us will be acceptable to Him. Only the work, the pure work of the Holy Spirit. And so many today because of Satan's subtle, crafty, deceptive maneuvers. The sadness is many think they are walking in the Spirit. And in reality, they are partaking from the good side of the tree. They are bringing in the presence of God on a new cart. They are offering strange fire of their own making to the Lord. And it's bringing death. That's the reason. That's the reason the church for the past two or three generations in America has been powerless basically to stop the flow of evil in our society and our culture. We have made no lasting impact upon them at all. In fact is they laugh at us. They mock us because we have come to God by partaking from the good side of the tree. We have tried to counsel sin out of them. We have tried to rebuke sin out of them. We have tried to look on ourselves with macho and bravado and we have declared boldly to a watching world that we are equal to the task and our lives are so filled with sin and degradation that they laugh at us. How did it get so far out of hand, you say? Because somewhere along the line, we quit trusting Christ. Somewhere along the line, there got to be too much of us and not enough of him. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying today. Somewhere in the journey, somewhere in our great confidence, in our great faith, in the great movements of the Holy Spirit, somewhere we traded our shields of gold for shields of brass. And now we're tarnished. Oh, how we're tarnished. And the cry of the Spirit of God in these last days 
is to repent. Repent, church. Repent and come back to the heart of God. And lay your life at the feet of the world's Redeemer. Lay your agendas down into the sleepy drowsiness of death and be planted together in, in the likeness of His death and be raised, glory to God in the newness of life. I want to say that again. Read it. Read it. It's in your Bible. It's in Romans 6, 7, and 8. The disciple of Christ must die and be planted together in the likeness of the death of Christ and be raised up together with Him, hallelujah, in newness of life. And that newness of life, the word in the, in the Greek means a new source of life. You see, we cannot come into the kingdom with our own agendas, with our own self-aggrandizements and efforts. We come into the kingdom and when we're truly born again, we have a new source of life. We have a new perspective. We do things with new motives, with new hearts. The book of Ezekiel tells us the law of God is written upon the tablet of our heart. And the Spirit of God enables us and causes us, Ezekiel said, to walk out the fulfillment of that written on the heart law. Amen. That's what repentance will produce. But the church has preached a gospel of self. The reason, beloved, that God has not yet manifested His glory in the church of today as strongly as He did in the book of Acts, I've asked myself so many times, where is Paul's aprons and handkerchiefs? Oh God, where is Peter's shadow? God, where are the the mighty movements of prayer until the place is shaken? Where are the instantaneous opening of blinded eyes and unstopping of the deaf ears where the lame leap and run and praise God on a massive scale that this Bible predicts? Where is it? The reason God hasn't brought it yet is because this call needs to go out first. Because if he brought his manifested glory right now, there would be many in our churches that would fall over dead. They'd fall over and die because they're living for the idols that are in their hearts. Before the Lord comes in his glory to his temple, the church, he's first going to send his prophet Elijah to call the people back to the heart of God. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. That's not talking there about just one man. Even though Elijah will come and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, I believe. From my study of the Word of God, I believe that's Elijah. But in that particular prophetic reference, it's speaking of 
from my study of the Word of God. I believe that's Elijah. But in that particular prophetic reference, it's speaking of in the last days there will be a revival, there will be a rebirth of the prophetic anointing, the prophetic ministry that will literally begin to seek out the lost sheep of the church. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 2 and 3, where Jesus gave those strong messages to those churches. They were not just for those seven churches of Asia Minor, but they were also for us today. And here's what he said. To that last church, he was standing outside of the church knocking upon the heart's door of the believers, trying to get in. And the church's attitude of that day was, we are rich. We are increased with goods. We have need of nothing. And Jesus said, you don't realize. You are deceived. You think you're right with God, but really you're serving yourselves. And you don't realize you are poor. You are blind. You are miserable. You are naked. He said, you need me. You need to return to your first love. That's what he told another one of the churches. But it applies to us in the same way. We have got to come to an admission and a recognition of our true spiritual condition. And we've got to learn to trust Christ and Christ alone. We've got to worship Christ and Christ alone. We've got to follow Christ and Christ alone. We've got to love Christ and Christ alone in the sense of godliness, worship, obedience. And he said something very strange. He said, you are lukewarm. You're neither cold nor hot. He said, I wish you were cold or hot. But because you are lukewarm, I will spew you. I will vomit you. I will, pardon the expression, puke you out of my mouth. What, what, what did he say that for? Why did Jesus say that to his church? Because you see, he was talking to the church. He wasn't talking to everybody. If I'm, if I'm holding in my hand right now a hamburger... I can't vomit that hamburger. I can only vomit what's in my body. Jesus was talking to his body. And he said, some of you are hot. Some of you are cold. And many of you, and probably most, are lukewarm. You've got just enough hot in you to where you can blend in with the hot. You know all the right words. You know all the right religious sounding phrases. You know the songs. and You know when to say amen and you even speak in tongues. And you've got just enough cold in you to where you can fit right in perfectly with that world out there. You are like a chameleon. You change colors. You seek to please whomever you are around. He said, because of this, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. 
Oh, church, will you wake up? It's time, if you'll pardon the vernacular, that we in the church fish or cut bait. It's time that we either get down to business with God or we hang it up. Because I guarantee you this, it doesn't matter so much what we do. God is going to have a remnant church. God is going to have a pure people that love Him and that serve Him with all of their hearts and all of their lives and all of their beings. In these last days, God is going to stir. I hear the sound of a going in the top of the mulberry trees. Hallelujah be to God forevermore. God is going to pour out His Spirit. And God is going to have a remnant, revolutionary, radical people that is totally 100% sold out, lives laid down for Jesus Christ, taking up their cross daily and following after Him. That's the call of the Spirit of God in this hour. That's the voice of the prophet Elijah, the prophetic ministry. God's not calling His people to a particular fellowship or a particular denomination or to a particular headquarters or a particular group. He's calling the heart of saved people everywhere, Baptists, Methodists, Lutherans, Pentecostals, Catholics, whomever that are saved, that are genuinely born again. He's calling you to the heart of God. He's calling you to the throne room. He's calling you to your face to turn your heart back to your king and your master and your redeemer. Bow your heads, please. I have done my best. To say these things I did not want to say. Father, stir within us a heart that will follow hard after you. Show us the inadequacies of our lives. Oh God, show us our sin. Show us our unrighteousness, God. Help us. We're a needy people. We are a needy people. And we cry out to the God of our salvation. And we ask you to wash us and to cleanse us by the blood of the Lamb of God. We forsake our paths and we turn to you right now. Forgive us and char charge us today with the Warrior's Commission. Charge us today with the radical injunction to lay down our lives, to lay down our agendas, to lay down our cause, to put aside, oh God, our vision that we might take yours.
<laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That we might have your vision. Anoint our eyes with eye salve. That we might see as you see. And we ask this in Jesus' name. I want to speak to every one of you just briefly under the sound of my voice today. And I want to tell you that even in the midst of a, of a message with a tone such as this one has had, I want you to know that Jesus loves you so very much. And if you fit the description of a person who has followed after the gospel of self, you needn't hang your head down in defeat or despair. Because if you will truly repent and turn to God today, He will receive you. He loves you so much and He wants to restore you with His great love. And I ask right now that everyone under the sound of my voice and you're in that condition, or maybe you've backslidden and you've went away from the Lord, I want you to come home right now and receive Jesus and receive his abundant life that he has for you. And he will bless you like he told those disciples. You will have a hundredfold return in this life. But you must understand what you are doing. You must understand that you are entering into a radical, radical relationship. And you are trading all of yourself, which is sin and evil and wickedness and destruction and despair and disease and death. You must lay that down and it must die and you must take up all that he is which is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost and forgiveness and repentance and all that Jesus represents can be yours if you'll come to him today. Won't you do that please? Won't you do that? Father, I pray for these under the sound of my voice that you will help them make a decision to follow after Christ, to love him, to serve him, to worship him in the spirit and in truth. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you've just made the decision to follow Christ, I'd love to hear from you. I would love to rejoice with you. We, we have a lot of material that, hey, I'd just like to sow it into your life. Just bless you with it and help you in your walk with the Lord. You can write to me at Faith and Family Ministries. I am Evangelist Len Paxton, Post Office Box.